Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. My name is Adam Hawkins, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tamarcus. Ty, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. It's early for us to be recording. This is true. <laughs> but not early in general. So, well, I'm super excited to talk to Sam Albury today. Sam is a pastor. Uh, he's an author. We've had him on the show before. Sam's pastoring in Nashville at Emmanuel Church there. He's a uh, speaker and author of many books, Seven Myths About Singleness, What God has to say about our bodies, and he's re-released Is God Anti-Gay? We're going to be talking about that book today. Sam, thank you for joining us. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So I did a great job with your introduction there, but (laughs) based on its sloppiness, uh, is there anything else we should know about you? I always like to ask our guests, you know, you can do sort of the the wiki bio, but uh, Mm -hmm. letting somebody kind of talk about themselves and their passions is always more interesting. So anything else you'd like for us to know about you? Uh, Well, I'm I'm British, which is is probably apparent. I've I've moved I've been officially living in the states for for ten days now. Wow! Um, I, I got a visa last month. I've been spending a lot of time here over the last few years in a very long visa process. So I'm very excited to be here full time now. Well, mm. that's really exciting, and congratulations. We're glad to have you here in the states. Um, what do you miss most about home? Uh, I miss. I mean, obviously, I have to say, family and friends. Of course, um, of course, is the official answer. <laughs> um, I really miss. I miss British chocolate. I always bring a suitcase of that back with me mm. because what you guys call chocolate is disgusting. Um, <laughs> no offence. Um, but I, I miss British countryside. There, there's mm. this sort of tradition in England of having public footpaths through the countryside and mm. so you can look at a nice view and there'll be some way of being able to hike in it and uh i miss that over here i'll see some nice scenery here and i know that if i set foot anywhere near it someone will try and shoot me so um right. i miss just being able to walk into the walk off into the countryside is is something i miss yeah yeah i um b- being able to walk anywhere is really uh rare <laughs> yeah, in, say, in yeah. the states especially um, texas yeah especially texas where we are so I, I have to ask this. What is your favorite British chocolate? Is there a brand? Is there something yeah, we say. can buy here oh. or order? Or what do we do? Uh, Cadbury's Dairy Milk. You have Cadbury's Dairy Milk here, but it's made differently. Okay. Oh. There's something Bummer. to do with how the milk is is dealt with. that it, It's creamier oh. in the UK. Yeah. I, every time I oh. introduce American friends to, to British Cadbury's chocolate, they're always kind of like, this is amazing. What, where, why is this not in my life? <laughs> So what you're saying is so I've been uh, lied to my whole life. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid so. <sighs> there was one Lent where I, I gave up chocolate for Lent and a friend caught me eating some Hershey's <laughs> and said, I thought you'd given up chocolate for Lent. And I said, I have. <laughs> what if, whatever, whatever this is, it's not chocolate. <laughs> oh, well, you're off on a good foot with our listeners. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Well, the two who are still left. Right, right, exactly. No, no, uh, not offended at all. I believe you. I believe you. Well, I want to. 
I wanna... And there are many things your country does better than, than Britain. It's just chocolate <laughs> that just happens to be something British people do better than Americans. It's the give and take. I understand. Yeah, we'll yeah. take that. Well, I want to I jump into the book uh, that we're discussing today, really the topic. You wrote Is God Anti-Gay 10 years ago. Uh, maybe the writing process was even more, I'm sure, before yeah. it was published. And now you've re-released it this past year. And I just want to ask why, well, first, maybe for our listeners who aren't familiar, why did you name the book originally what you did? Uh, and then maybe go into why you felt it necessary to re-release mm. and rewrite portions of it. Yeah, so the original book, the impetus came from a publisher. They were doing a series on different okay. questions Christians were asking, and they they came up with the title, Is God Anti-Gay? So I, <laughs> I the, the easy question to answer from that point of view, they, yeah. that was their idea. So they gave me the brief, they gave me the format, the length, and so on as to, to fit in with the series that they were doing. Uh, and it was it was uh, an honor to, to do it. Um, I, I don't read my own books once mm. they're out. You know, it's like listening to your own voice or that kind of thing. So I don't pick up my own books and just read them. But I had to do something uh, a year or so ago, which made me pick up as God Anti-Gay and thumb through it. And it was the first time in a long while I'd looked at it. And I suddenly realized how, gosh, how much the world has changed. Mm. And I said, I just thought, gosh, it, 10 years, it's been quite a significant 10 years on this topic. It came out in 2013. The world was a different place. Gay marriage wasn't a legal reality in the UK or the US. Yeah. And even saying that, that already feels like it was another another era. So, um, And I realized that, that the kinds of questions I, I encounter now have changed. Um, the book was based around the questions that were often being asked, particularly by, by Christians around these topics. And I thought, actually, they, those questions have shifted now. Mm. Um, Plus, one of the things I hadn't anticipated was the, the extent to which people would give that book to their non-Christian friends. Mm. And so I thought, well, if, it, if it's already being used in that way, let's, let's try and make it more fit for purpose for that. So as well as restructuring it, just going through it with a, with a sort of fine-tooth comb and rewriting bits of it, adding bits and, and so on, I've tried to make the whole thing more, far more accessible to someone who's, who's not a believer, just in terms of avoiding christian jargon and, and that kind of thing that makes a lot of sense i know like if there's a, and it's probably been some time since you've had to do that that kind of work to it but um can you think maybe like what were some of the most immediate maybe like one or two questions that have arisen over a couple of years that you were like oh yeah this has to like i have to add this piece for those who maybe yeah. didn't know what the original maybe had lacked that it was like man i gotta put these questions in there yeah, the, the big thing 10 years ago was, does the Bible really say this? Uh, the big thing now is not, does the Bible say this, but is is God good for us mm. in this area of life? Um, I, I meet plenty of, of Christians who understand what the Bible says. They're not disputing it. They just don't think it's good. Mm. So that's the real issue. And I'd, I'd front-loaded the first edition with all the kind of, you know, going through all the, the big texts on... And have we misunderstood them? And does Leviticus really mean that? And and so on. That stuff's still in the book because there's still a need for that. But I've shoved it at the back of the book now. And the front of the book is is really about the goodness of Jesus in this area of life. And how can we trust anyone who's calling us to deny certain sexual feelings? How can that possibly be good for us? Hmm. So that that to me is the big issue. It was it was there in the background ten years ago, but it, it's very much front and center now. Um, is this Jesus good for us? 
And I want people to see it's not just the Bible, it is Jesus yeah that they that they have to reckon with on these things i want people to be bothered by him <laughs> mm. so i've tried to make it uh more jesusy you i i mean i found the first edition incredibly helpful i was one of those people who was giving the book to non-christian friends i find um the advanced copy that we got a, a while ago i found it so helpful uh and wanting again not to i think uh what drew me so much is what you just said this this version is so forward uh, uh, with the idea of human flourishing right and and um and how jesus is good for us I do want to back up though and say, how have how have yes within the church itself the conversation is changing. For those who you've spoken to outside of the church, has it changed? Have you know have, have you noticed a difference in how they're receiving maybe your book uh, in general? Yeah, it has changed. It's hard to pin it down to one particular change. Lots of things feel a bit different. In one sense, the cultural temperature has gone up because. This was still the case 10 years ago that you know that sexuality is is tied to identity but it feels like it's tied more aggressively mm. to identity now and so it feels more countercultural perhaps even more offensive to say to someone that actually your sexuality is not the key to who you are um but at the same time i find there's there's actually i think more of a hunger mm. um among my non-Christian friends, when I have opportunities to speak to LGBTQI groups, um, and they get, you know, we have to get past the, they'll think I hate them for the first, you know, once I've got past the barrier, they realize I don't, and we can have a free conversation. There is so much hunger. People are, more and more people are recognizing that what culture is is selling them is not delivering. Mm. And there's there's a profound emptiness. So whilst we still in places hysterically adhere to this kind of it's all about self-expression and you can't ever tell someone not to express who they are sexually at the same time there's this kind of unmissable social cost and emptiness and loneliness and despair that is is with us and so just talking about healthier ways of of approaching identity how do how do we know who we are what are the unquestioned assumptions that we've not actually examined behind our culture saying you are your sexuality? What else does the Bible say about intimacy? What, what are the mm. other ways in mm. which we can experience genuine, safe intimacy in ways that are non-sexual and non-romantic? Mm. Um, just opening up people's eyes to all those other things that the Bible has always had for us that we've we've not always attended to. I feel like that is so key to the yeah. conversation, the question of intimacy, family, friendship, and and what if there's a place maybe that the church has to step in and care in, in this conversation um, for our brothers and sisters who struggle uh, with same-sex attraction, I think it's going to have to be along those lines. How do we offer, to your point, a picture of intimacy um, and how do we offer a picture of family, et cetera, that, that can provide deep and rich meaning, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously we do that in Jesus, of course, but I feel like that's such an important, 
that's the question I hear. I guess to to tie this to a question, you know, I think um, if I'm thinking ten years ago, I and and it's probably our particular context. I mean, you can tell me, Ty, if if you experience it differently, but I've never met yet, and I know it exists, but I've never met yet the church that is even ten years ago the church that is sort of the trope, the Westboro Baptist trope. I know it's out there. And I know certainly um, that message becomes loud and very harmful for people who are struggling and the church seems like an enemy. I've I've really only existed in churches, and we're in the Bible Belt, right, who have mm-hmm. said, how do we kind of do this, hold these two values together? One is to love and be hospitable and be inviting and introduce people to the love of Jesus and at the same time stand on truth. That's kind of been the maybe the error that I've seen. I would say in in the I would say it's more atypical to run into the Christian who's kind of of that tropish, you know, fear-based variety. And yet the questions have changed over the last 10 years yeah. within the church. Um mm. you know, Sam, I guess maybe my question for you is 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 you've kind of seen more of the church than I have certainly. Um uh are you is that is my is what I'm describing is that typical? Do you still run into a lot of churches who sort of have a hostility? Um, and, and then secondly, what as you answered, kind of what are people looking for? This kind of meaning starved. We talk about that yeah. a lot. This kind of meaning starved thing that's happening out in the world. We all are. That's infecting the church too. Um, we've addressed what's happening outside the church within the church. How have the questions changed in the last ten years? Yeah, to, to the first point, I. I... Agree with you to some extent. Okay. I mean, Westboro was always the sort of extreme sure. expression of that hostility. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen an uptick both in terms of of churches saying, "Hey, how can we be a blessing on this? How can we love people well? How can we be a good witness?" Asking healthy questions. But I've also seen an increase in churches that it feels like they're just getting angrier yeah. about this issue. That's a really good point. Yep. So I think whereas a lot of churches were just sort of bumbling along slightly oblivious. Right. Many have woken up to the pastoral needs around this issue, the apologetics, evangelistic kind of needs, and sort of how do we do this well? But as culture has sort of gone further in in this this particular direction, um, and a lot of – I've seen a lot of church leaders respond to these cultural shifts just by getting angrier and angrier because – Christians are losing social capital, yeah, in America, and and that's for the first time. It's no respecter of geography, so it doesn't matter if the thirteen-year-old is in Alabama or in New York State; they're being formed by the same social forces, right? Yes, and for some Christians, the response to that is, "We're angry," yeah, and so I'm seeing, and and the issue is being, you know, something like sexuality is being blamed for this, and so there's a lot of anger. That this issue is even there, yeah. That's yeah. A, and that, that has that has really increased. You know, that's actually a good point. As I was kind of bumbling through my last question, I actually thought in my head, as the heat has turned up around politics yes. and what you're saying, obviously, social media has changed the landscape of everything. Um, I, you're right. It's it's um, it's a con- it's been a convenient scapegoat. Uh, this topic in terms of the culture wars that are happening, and as things have heated, as everyone lost their minds through Trump's election and COVID and all those kind of yeah. things, we've seen I- exactly what you've said. Sam. It's the yeah. increased fear. Yeah, I mean, and I think 
because you brought it up in the chapter about um like should should Christians attend mm. gay uh, gay weddings mm. Mm. you know for friends and family assuming and part of it is like there's there's a balance you you tell us to strike and hold between maintaining witness but also maintaining friendship and relationship and i think as that as the cultural temperature has turned up i like i've heard people voice so to your to your question before like i've been in more circles where it it did feel a little bit maybe the entity wasn't so but there were definitely a lot of high stakeholders in the entity um that would espouse this kind of rhetoric and there wasn't a lot of pushback so the the assumption to someone sitting in the room might be like oh is everybody like thinking like you know Mm -hmm. um but it's Mm. it's the kind of thing of like this is we got to stand on truth time is running out like things right and i don't care about how people feel or like if i don't care about making people upset we just gotta teach about and it's kind of like in my mind it's reminding me in that chapter of like it's like we're gonna just forsake the friendship and it's all about you know witness and making sure that you know no it no one is mistaken and there's no room for Mm -hmm. but it's like really what you do is to me i feel like if you when you leave it void of that relationship like you actually are kind of void in in the witness as well because people aren't totally if you don't care about people then they're not gonna you know process so i was i was talking to someone uh not long ago um just uh, down the road in kentucky and you know Someone had just started dating some of the same sex, and this this parent was saying, "I don't ever want to meet the the other person. Mm. I don't ever want them in my house." And I remember thinking, "You might be the only Christian in that young person's orbit, right? Yes. And how will they how will they ever come to faith if the one Christian they they know of isn't letting them in the house and doesn't ever want to meet them? Yeah, it's almost like they were punishing this person for being a sinner, mm. and that is a you know it's just it's not just a a lack of witness it's actually a it's a it's a false witness it's the opposite of witness agreed yeah it's a it's a cultural reaction it's a it's a i don't like this and i don't want it anywhere near me reaction Mm -hmm. but it's not a christ-like reaction because christ moves towards us Hmm. in our sin while we were still sinners christ died for us um so I think we, the way I always put it is to say to someone, listen, in, in whatever your interactions are with your friend and the invitation to the wedding is a case in point, make sure they're in no doubt how much Christ means to you and make sure they're in no doubt how much they mean to you. If you can convey both of those things hmm. by going, by not going, whatever by whatever you're doing, then you're doing the right thing. I think that's so important and you convey that so clearly in the, in in your book. I mean again coming back to this idea, you know, more than the book is about especially this version, more than the book is about is God anti-gay. It's really a book about um what you said, is Jesus really that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Is he really this captivating? Is he really who he says he is? That's a you talk about that a lot. Does he really talk about um same-sex relationships? But it's deeper. What you're describing is what Jesus is saying on on a on a deeper level. And I think it's really two questions. Is one is um, that I think is so important is how how should churches go about this? You just said it a, a second ago. How much I love Jesus and how much I love you. But the second is, and I've I wonder this about so many topics and issues. Is the right way to think about this to try to uncouple it? 
from the political and social implications and simply see the people in front of us. It's hard for me because I the way I even got into ministry was through um you know our we have a recovery ministry at our church and you know you can't have a million groups but one of the groups we had was um sexual struggles and so we had the the median age of the group was probably like 24 at the time and we had guys from all walks of life in there you know we had guys struggling with pornography struggling with sex addiction struggling with same sex attraction and you know, um, I wanting to be nuanced, I get that those groups aren't good for everybody, but we developed this real camaraderie. And I think what was helpful about it was we, we didn't look at, we all looked at our struggle and said, it's the same. There's something at the root that's the same. And there's Mm. something that's different, recognizing that and being aware of that, but saying like, so often this isn't about sex. So often it presents is about that, but what's happening underneath there are all these struggles in our hearts, you know, about what you've said, intimacy and love and friendship and nurturing. And we're all going to, as we've, as you know, sin and a fallen world have worked on our hearts, we're all going to these different places. And so just speaking in my context, I so quickly want to be pulled towards the person in front of me, uh, the pastoral heart. Is it wrong? And, And I just want to make room for this, Sam, as you think through this issue, is it should we uncouple it from the social implications and see the person in front of us? How do you how do you juggle that? How do you interact with with that tension? Yeah, we, we've got to take each person at a time, uh, and not to see each person as a representative of a block. That's really great because we can we can tend to think, well, cable news has got me angry about that group right. over there, the things that they're doing and saying, and then someone stumbles into my orbit who sounds and looks like he might be part of that group. <laughs> Therefore, all the anger I'm, I've been encouraged to feel towards that group, I'm now channeling towards this representative of it. Um, you know, so we've got to take each person. Someone comes up to me and says, I'm gay. Um, one of the first things I'm going to say to them is, oh, tell, tell me a bit, what do you mean by that? What does mm. that mean to you? Because mm. that could it could mean wildly different things. It could mean they are a, an extreme activist who is wanting to upend every social norm that that exists? It could mean there's someone who is wants a quiet life with their same-sex partner and and isn't wanting to cause anyone else any trouble, isn't wanting to burn any churches down or right. anything like that. So we, we've got to take each person as they come. That's that's actually the just thing to do. Mm. Otherwise, what you do is you you take out your frustration on somebody else, on the person in front of you which means you're punishing them for someone else's sin. So we've got to we've got to take each person at a time and find out who mm-hmm. they are, what they mean by what they're saying, where they're coming from, and not assume we know that already, and not assume that, um, and I, I, as a new visitor to your country, Christians need to stop watching cable news. Yeah, Cable news is not designed to inform you. It's designed mm-hmm. to anger you. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make you a better Christian. It's not going to make you more informed. It's going to make you more agitated, mm-hmm. and it's better for their advertising revenue. And that is that is all they care about, right? Um, so we've got to take each person in front of us as as being someone who bears the image of God, who is precious in His sight, who is worthy of our service, mm-hmm. whose story is worthy of our attention. And who will be far more nuanced than we think they are, mm. because we hear, oh, this person is gay, or this whatever it is, and we we import a lot of the assumptions 
into that word. And actually, we just need to let this person speak for themselves and meet them where they're at with mm. the love of Christ. Mm. Amen. Um, so I, I can't remember what the question was, but uh, I, and I, therefore I don't know if that answers <laughs> it. Answered it. it. And you gave us some, so we yeah. we praise God. Um, I, I love that you brought that up, uh, even just uh, the influence of cable and social media. You could probably couple in there as well, but just um, – yep. I I wonder because so you've got a you've kind of got your foot on two sides of the the spectrum here in the U.S. and back in the U.K. and arguably we we here are kind of moving in the direct of that like post Christian world maybe you know some steps behind uh, where we see in the U.K. already and maybe that's where we see like some of this I guess this heightened tension of like that transition period uh, so to speak but. Uh, in in light of that, uh, what are are there any like questions and conversations that are happening, um, or that you you experience and that are that are arising in the UK that maybe aren't aren't yet here or like it can be like an indicator of like hey this is um, this is the kind of direction this conversation is going or even the way to engage um, with people in this conversation and then I I have a follow up to that question but. Just want to throw that one out first. Yeah, I th I think the the pace of cultural change is such that it it's happening um, everywhere all at once. Um, mm. And so what it, because it's it's less geographical now than it used to be. Um, social media, smartphones, all of that is is what is shaping people most profoundly. Mm. Um, there's I'm hearing much of the same stuff that I would have heard back in England over here as well. Um, mm the same kind of desires to, you know, the, the, the way this question is often framed um, as, as being about rights and you can't be my friend if you don't affirm me and victimhood, privilege, all those sorts of things. Um, this this question is being framed in, in those categories more and more. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a generational thing as well to some extent. Yeah. Um, so little Johnny age 12 in the, in the youth group. Again, it doesn't matter if he's in Alabama or if he's in Seattle, um, he will be being shaped by the same cultural forces and will have the same kinds of questions as someone will have in Seattle. And one of the issues we have at the moment is that a lot of church leaders, a lot of youth leaders are not recognizing those cultural changes that have happened and are thinking, well, we'll just do what we've always done. I'll tell them what I was told when I was 12. That worked for me. It'll work for them. And not recognizing we're in a different cultural context, and therefore there's a, a different set of cultural assumptions to be dealing with. And 30 years ago, you might have said, well, God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve and thought that was a brilliant argument. Uh, and if you say that to someone today, it's, you know, they're not going to be, that's not going to keep them in the church. As you, uh, even as you answered, that was really sobering because it, I mean, it's just in the testament to how globalization is having its effect, even in a conversation like this, that there is a mm. kind of uh, uh, unity in the messaging that's going out all over. Um, and with that, uh, I've, I'm often wonder, like, so if I'm thinking for our listeners who they're tracking, they are trying to be more, um, I guess, graceful and tactical in this area. They're trying to engage with friends and coworkers and family. And um, maybe 
you know, as they're they're listening, they're not in opposition, but there could just be, you know, a general ignorance of like, man, how do I how do I engage in what are the kinds of things that I say? Maybe don't say, you know, God made Adam and Adam, that kind of thing. What are some other like, I guess, conversation stoppers that you hear Christians often um, it used when engaging in conversations that's like, hey, a good a good starting point. If you're going to be, you know, engaging mm-hmm. in these conversations, if there's somebody in your life that you're trying to um, reach in and uh, be be Jesus uh, to share him with. The, these are just these are kinds of conversations and things that we could mm-hmm. we could just stop. We could make a lot of progress by just not yeah. doing this anymore and <laughs> moving on. Yeah, I I think. The, the positive answer is the thing we need to do is listen well. Mm. Um, find out where someone is at, what their story is, because that will protect us from saying the clunky thing yeah. that didn't quite apply and didn't quite fit. And so, you know, I, I remember seeing this a, a recently, a non-Christian guy I know, he and his same-sex partner were, were beginning the adoption process. And they mentioned that to a a mutual friend who's a Christian. And the first thing the Christian said before he said anything else was, well, I don't agree with gay adoption. And he has good reasons for saying that. And there are, you know, things we believe about how God has designed the family and so on. But it was, he hadn't done any of the other relational, he didn't know these people well yet. He hadn't done any of the other relational work. That was just his opening salvo. And I remember thinking, there's a time and a place to have that part of the conversation, but this wasn't that time and place. Mm. Um, it was a lack of hospitality mm. um, because that that immediately shut down conversation. Their shields went up immediately, and it was it was actually a very significant period of time before they would even be willing to speak to that Christian again. Now, Christian, he was rightly kind of mortified and thought oh man that was i shouldn't have said that that should not have been my opening salvo there would be other christians who would think yep i was faithful i i gave it to them but uh again that's that's not our god doesn't need us to rambo up and sock it to people god god needs us to express the heart of christ mm-hmm. towards sinners and so that means coming with a with a posture of of service, a posture of curiosity, a posture of let me let me get who you are, let me try and understand you, let me, and actually loving the people around us. Yes. So I find that again, we, Proverbs um, eighteen verse, I think it's verse thirteen says, "To give an answer before you hear is folly and shame." Mm-hmm. And we're rightly as as you know, Bible believing Christians, we believe in proclamation, we we have something to share that we we want to share rightly. But words can be true without being wise. And if we want to have a wise response to someone, we need to we need to actually to listen to them and get to know them. And then we will have kind of good instincts about, okay, okay, given what I now know about this person, I think this is going to be the right place to start in in sharing my faith with them, or this will be a a wise way of responding to the thing that we're talking about. Yeah. If we want to know what look what wisdom looks like as it relates to um, how to engage, it's Jesus didn't look at people as arguments to win. He looked at at people as human beings to love uh, and to sh- and share. Mm-hmm. I, I think about the woman at the well. She didn't, you know, he didn't go to her and and you know give a theological treatise on marriage. You yeah. know. 
in some ways, he did that better, right? Uh, by saying, I, telling her everything she knew about herself, engaging with her personal story before, and, and then never dropping a hammer. He actually says, I love you, go and sin no more. And so there's countless examples of that. But if we want to be Jesus to people, I think, Sam, maybe the one of the most important things you've said is we've got to stop. I think about wisdom so often like this. It's like, hey, um, there are so many voices that have our ear that sound like cable news. And oftentimes when I meet Christians, it's like, why don't you speak up about this more? And what they mean is, why aren't you standing up and saying things like my preferred cable news network says, right? Why don't you get on stage and do culture war? Which, you know, there's a lot of people talking now, this isn't, this is neither here nor there, but that say that that's the new seeker sensitive movement. If you want to actually fill your pews really quickly, just sound like all the people on cable news, one side or the hmm. other, you know, it's, it could be the conservative or, or the liberal cable news. And I often think it's like, how many people are out there speaking like Jesus speaks? on these issues, mm -hmm. not saying, hey, we're losing the country, and if we just X, Y, Z, and all this kind of vitriol and everything and posturing, but if there were more people out there saying things like, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased, you know? If, if there were more people out there saying, talking about the love of Christ, talking about speaking like to lifting a face like Jesus does the woman in the well and says, I, I don't condemn you. Mm. Um, you know, I, I just, I think, um, or the woman caught in adultery, excuse me. But I, I think, um, I, I think that's one of the main things. I think if True. you're a listener out there and you're asking the question of your church, why don't they speak on this? Like I hear, you know, my preferred public broadcaster or my preferred sort of, you know, social commentator, a commentator on social media, I think the, the question we might need to ask ourselves is like, well, where's our heart in this? Where's because coming from? Jesus doesn't speak that way. That's not wise words, you know? Yeah. And what I heard in your answer as well, that was so disappointed is like, especially when we're talking about wisdom and all things, and it, especially in this conversation as well, is it's so much less about the information that we have and the kind of person we are being shaped into, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you say things like you can, you can say a truth and it could still be unwise mm -hmm. or um, that there's a way to, to engage uh, with people um, and, and try to spill truth. But then it's like, but you're not being hospitable. And like all, all of those kinds of hiccups come where there is a, um, I think about like the, you know, the technical term of sophomore, right? That where you, you got just enough information to be dangerous. And it's like when we're not being formed and shaped by the things that we know, uh, we just end up, you know, wielding swords all crazy and, and we hurt people rather than help. And it's like, so, you know, in light of that, it's like, so where, where do we start as believers? Is it's like, man, I like my heart needs to be um, shaped and formed uh, into the image of Christ to where, like you said, I, I'm seeing people the way Christ does. Uh, I think of when one of my favorite passages is when, when Jesus is, it says he's looking out into the crowds um, and he's moved to compassion because he uh, sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd. Um, they're, they're lost in distress. And it's like, I often ask like, what, what do I see when I look at it? I see a bunch of people that inconvenience me or a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing. Or, and it's like when Jesus looked out and he saw the craziness that was the city, it moved his heart to compassion because he understood mm -hmm. what was at stake. And it's like, if we 
like we have to have that before we can yeah. get to the point to wielding the information the in a wise that, way. That that passage has really shaped me, mm-hmm. that very passage, because Jesus sees the lostness of the lost and he has compassion. Mm. Uh, we often see the lostness of the lost and we're irritated yeah. by their lostness. And out of his compassion, the very next thing, and certainly in Mark's account that he tells us, is that Jesus then began to teach them many things. Mm. So the most compassionate thing to do to a lost person is to introduce them to many of the things that Jesus says, um, which is, is such a healthy healthy model. It stops us being kind of cantankerous and just kind of screaming at the wind. It stops us being those who withdraw and just don't mm. engage at all. Um, and it, it gives us a positive way to, to interact and to engage with people. Yeah. I want to focus in just a little bit because I think what we've done and just maybe quickly address some of the more what I would just say is maybe objections or as, as I've had these conversations, let's say you're talking to somebody, you start to introduce them to Jesus and uh, it's a friend who struggles with homosexuality, or even you're just thinking about how to think through it. Oftentimes what comes up, we've addressed it a little bit is this next question, which is like, well, and, and again, you address this in the book, Sam, but like, okay, so is God supposed to change me? Like, am I supposed to become not gay not same sex attracted. There's a lot of these internal conversations and we don't we don't have time to go through it all, but side A versus side B, X, Y, all these kind of things that are happening internally, probably within the last 10 years of this conversation. And I think you do a good job of of addressing this in the book. Let me ask you this. As you offer the picture of the beautiful life as a Christian to a, a same sex attracted person who's who's they're starting to be intrigued, you know, what what picture of a future do you offer them as it relates to Good singleness question. versus mm. are my desires supposed to change versus what does it look like for me to exist in a church? I know that's a big question, Sam, but yeah, you do a great job in the book. Um, and so again, commend it heavily to our readers, but quickly here, how would you how would you advise? Yeah, I, I my rule of thumb is don't say to someone what you can't say to everyone. Mm. So just to make sure we're mm. we're always dealing with a level playing field. That's good. So to everyone, Jesus is going to upend your life <laughs> because it turns out you didn't need a bit of fine tuning. You needed you needed completely upending. Amen. That's that's his expectation for all of us. Amen. Um, that therefore there will be change, um, uh, but the the change that matters the most is is that we we become more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. We love Jesus more and more, and everything else we will have a different attitude to, and other things will will kind of be reproportioned in the light of knowing Christ. One of those things is whether I get married or not actually just starts to matter less to me mm. if I know I now have the bridegroom. Amen. And so I don't that it doesn't feel like the rest of my life is now hinged on my my marital status. Something else has actually supplanted that. Um so to, to some it doesn't matter in this instance, it doesn't matter if they're same sex attracted or not, um, is you know, you might get married, you might not get married. Mm. Um, both are great gifts from a, a, a generous God. And so whatever he has for you, you can know it's going to be good. Hmm. And it, it just takes a lot of the angst out of out of some of those issues. Mm. Um he will take existing relationships and put them on a healthy footing. Mm. That might mean that the person you're dating that you shouldn't be. Actually, God helps you to to be a friend to them rather than a, in my case, a boyfriend to them. Mm. Um, 
and that was you know I, there's a there's a two women two women uh, two women at my church who were in a same-sex partnership for about 15 years both came to faith a few years ago um they they say we are so much closer as sisters in Christ than we ever were as lovers. Wow. So what would have looked like a downgrade from a worldly point of view, mm -hmm. you've now gone from being lovers to just good friends. Actually, Christ has sweetened that relationship. Mm. He's improved it. Um, and we can expect to see more of that as God folds us into his family. He will give us brothers and sisters. Um, we might have different types of intimacy than we were looking for or imagining or hoping for, but whatever they are, if they're according to God's word, they will be better mm. forms of intimacy. Mm. So let God redefine what God, what good is going to look like for the rest of your life. And it won't be the good that you were aspiring to, but when you look back, you'll think, oh, wow, his, his was way better than mine. Amen. Amen. I, um, that's <laughs> that is such a good word. That is amazing. Um, and I think it, it's what you said. You can say that to everybody. You can say that to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and we we need to be because otherwise yeah. it looks like we're we're putting demands on our gay friends that we're not putting exactly. on anybody else. Sure. A couple more quick questions to address, and one is how important do you think the conversation is between should I call myself a gay Christian or should I call myself same-sex attracted? I know there's more that goes into that. Most of our listeners probably aren't going to to dive into the that conversation, but I know many who are, and I know many people who struggle and go to our church. That's a big issue for them. Do, do you, hmm. is this, is this more, is it more than semantics? Are my desires sinful? How do I identify those kind of things? How, how do you in, uh, engage and approach that topic, Sam. Yeah, again, I want to deal with it at the level of principle first. Right. So the principle is, as as I come to Christ, I'm a new creation. Um, the old has passed, the new has come. I'm now more defined by my future than I am by my past. Amen. So I I don't want to take aspects of my sinful nature and make and give them star billing in how I view myself. It's good. That that's a that's an important principle because in the New Testament, indicative comes before imperative. Who mm. I understand myself to be will shape what I then do. Mm. And if I misunderstand who I am in Christ, it'll be harder for me to live out a life of holiness. I need to know, and this this helped me so much when I studied Romans 6, I need to know that actually I don't have to sin anymore mm. because sin is no longer the real me. Mm. And so when 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 a temptation comes along and the devil says, come on, this is who you are, this is what you do, stop trying to pretend to be some other weird Christian version of you that you're clearly not. The theological answer is, in Christ, the real me is the me that is pursuing holiness, and it's now sin that's going against the grain. Mm. So my fear for those who, who would say that they are a, a gay Christian, if they're using that word is a, a sort of an identity marker right. is they're actually making it harder for themselves to fight sin. Mm. Um, that said, you know, and I've seen this several times, someone comes to faith from a gay background, they spent years going, I'm gay. 
their first instinct is to go, hey, I'm a gay Christian. Right, right. And I don't, I don't want to launch an airstrike on that person sure. just because they used the G word. <laughs> um, that will be an understandable starting point for them, but it, it wouldn't be my intended destination point in their mm. discipleship. So I would want for them in their discipleship to kind of over time learn to think, actually, no, that that was part of the old self that I'm I'm taking off now, mm. not part of the new self that I'm putting on. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to over-police it, but I do think it matters. Hmm. I love indicative come before the imperatives. I just think it's so important, um, that idea. I, it's, it's everything you're saying, um, and it's just beautiful, that idea that Jesus lays claim to us and says, yeah. I'm your God and you are my people before he says, now go and do or go and be. Um, so yeah. important. The last, and it's not a quick topic, um, but... I just want to say the other thing that I think has changed a ton uh, is the conversation around the T in this issue, the trans. Yeah, I think what's really hard is for most people who don't spend all their time reading books about this and and you know trying to figure this out is that in in some ways the trans conversation is really really different. It's such a different conversation on so many levels. Um, just the idea of gender fluidity and gender being divorced from sex, whereas being gay has so much to do with biological sex. You're attracted to, I, I watched a person talk and say, a, a lesbian was talking to a group of trans people and she asked the question, um, what she asked the, you know, the, the question that everybody's asking, what's a woman? And these, the trans people started to talk about, well, it's anybody who feels and blah, blah, blah. And she said, hang on a second. I'm not attracted to somebody's brain or how they feel. I'm attracted to a biologically sexual female. So even what that did for me, not, not culturally speaking, what that did for me was help kind of separate the issues a little mm -hmm. bit to say, mm. man, you know, in, in one sense, we we kind of typically treat the LGBTQIA as like a block, you know, and in our vernacular and everything. But in another sense, these are very, there's some very different issues going on. Taking a step back from that, what are similarities? What are differences? How do you, um, how do you see it? Yeah. The similarities would be these are categories of sexual identity. Right. And so that the same sort of basic thinking applies in our culture, which is, if this is someone's chosen sexual identity, then it needs to be protected and everyone needs to uphold it and respect it. And, and if you don't do that, you're, you're a terrible person in, in today's kind of cultural calculus. Um, so it's another type of that, which is why it sort of fits on the, the kind of LGBT, you know, it's another letter to put into that, sure. um, that kind of cluster. Um, but where it's different is, Whereas from a biblical point of view, we would say that same-sex sexuality is a misuse of our biological sex. Hmm. Transgender ideology is denying the existence of our biological sex right. and saying those categories don't really exist at all anyway. Mm. So it's it's a significant step further um, because it's it's not misappropriating male and female, it's denying male and female. Mm. Which takes us to something that in in Genesis one twenty seven is very very foundational to what it means to be human, uh, which is why there are many gay people who don't follow the trans ideology. Right. It it's a it's a bigger if I can put it this way as a as a Christian it's a bigger lie to make people swallow mm. because 
you're actually saying to people, this thing that is so foundational to what it means to be human is, isn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to every other mammal, we're clear on oh, that's a, that's a, a boy cat or a girl cat. But for some reason, when it comes to humans, oh, no, 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 they, they've, they've got to tell us what they are and the biology is irrelevant. Mm. That's a big ask for someone, even someone who's not a Christian. Right. Because this this idea of being male and female is so intrinsic to our humanity, mm. um, which is why within the secular world, you've got a picture of that and it's it's happening in so many places. There is tension between LGB and T. Mm. Not everywhere, but in many places there is. Yeah, because the T's are saying to the LGBs, you're being transphobic um, if you're not attracted to someone with the same gender identity as you. Right. And the others are saying, well, you're being homophobic if you're not letting us be attracted to the people with the same genitalia as us. Right. Um, so that that's been an interesting discussion to track. <laughs> hmm. Yes, Sam. Man, it's been such a a pleasure uh, just being able to. Um, dive into your book and just again want to say to our, our listeners uh, we got to cover just a couple of the questions and topics that you cover in there but it really is a good solid biblical accessible um, read if you are uh, looking to engage um, in this conversation to just figure out how can I uh, engage in this conversation not with the voice of the media and the culture, but from a biblical lens that models the the heart of Christ um, comes highly recommended. And again, just reiterating, um, Sam, as you've already said, just the importance of uh, knowing that who we are becoming in Christ uh, is has to be first in shaping and informing how we share and how we um, speak truth in life into those around us. And we at all times want to uh, just model Christ in that way and um, yeah, main, maintain our witness through also uh, not just giving, uh, not just in giving the truth, but also in that Christ-like hospitality and love and grace and compassion for the lost. And so, uh, Sam, thank you so much. Uh, it's just been an honor. Yeah, thanks, it's been Sam. a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Love, yeah. love being with you guys. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from The Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social, check the show notes for more information on how to best connect with us, as well as connect with our guests in ways to support their work. See you next time.